You are listening to the Point Harbor Church Podcast. Experience a place where you can grow in your faith, connect with others, and discover the story God has for your life. For more resources, visit us online at pointharbor.com. Good to see you, man. If we, uh, if we haven't met, uh, my name is Legend. I'm an artist and a speaker. Uh, my name is Nigel. Legends is Nigel spelled backwards. It just says Christ turned my life around. And uh, excited to be here with you. I love coming to Point Harbor. I think you guys have a fantastic church. If you wouldn't mind, uh, would you put your hands together and celebrate all the great things this church is doing and what, who God is making this church to be. It's a fantastic place. So thanks for letting me be here with you. A couple of quick things. Uh, one, last time I was here, we had a really good time doing this song called Feeling Blessed. Uh, we just perf- uh, performed it, sung it together. It was a really fun time. That song is actually out now, doing pretty well on Spotify, and I would love for you to have the chance to grab it if you'd like. Uh, so I've got a QR code here if you want to scan that. You can get it on Apple or wherever you get music, but I hope it's a fun, encouraging song to remind you that no matter what's going on in your life, if you've got Christ, you are blessed. Uh, so I hope you enjoy that and grab that. And I've also got some of these hoodies in the back. If my wife's out there, if you'd like to grab, grab one of those. Um, another really cool thing. Uh, your church has been very, very kind to me. Uh, I'm going to tell you something Point Harbor did for me. Um, we, uh, my, I, have a, I have a band, and we, were, we had a week scheduled to perform some music or just to write some music and stuff and just play every night. And the, and the place we were supposed to do that fell through at the last minute. So I called Tom, like, hey, yo, Tom, like, I need a place. Could you help and, and Tom was like, sure, and just gave me the keys. And so, every, so for a whole week, every night from like 5 p.m. to like midnight, we were in here just tearing the stage up and playing stuff. And it was great. We came out with like 16 scratch tracks that are just really fun, jazzy, neo-soul, hip-hop, Jesus-glorifying music. And, uh, and it was all because uh, your church was just very, very kind to my team and I. So I wanted to show you, one is a thank you, uh, a sneak preview of what kind of came out of that. We don't know what we're doing with everything yet. We just said we'll create and trust God with it. So... Just, you know, artists, random creativity, and who knows what's going to happen with it. So here's a clip of that, and, and thank Stop. you. Hey, we made this in like an hour and some change. Let me know what you think about it in the comments. If you don't like it, don't say nothing. But if you do, you know what I'm saying? Emojis and stuff. Wait, this is the last day. Creating Renova Hearst. Try and give them life. Rewriting this later hearse. Say they fighting for their place. But it's the last, it shall be first. Looking like I'm losing. But I'm just last in reverse. Don't overcomplicate it. I ain't taking Satan's papers. Most your favorite rappers mainly overcompensated. I don't put no stock in them, so they saying I'm hating. Absolutely amazing what they traded for those statements. Spit bars and sentences, spit bars and sentences. Regret time laws, considered it privilege to visit them. Rick told me we need you out here, and I've been listening. So I'm just trying to do my part here to keep the witness clear. Listen, I'm just a dude whose father left and felt the pain from it. In therapy to better me so I can change from it. Eat the beats, spit the gospel out, share my stains from it. Cause what they feeding us, I can't stomach. I just came to switch the menu up and see if I can give a nudge. If we don't want the same, gotta offer something different up. I do this for the name of the one who raised and lifted up. I want my children trained how to hold on and what to give up. I told my wife that I'm in this for life and never give her up. I told Christ I want to hear what done after I hear what up. I told my mama that I'm grateful that God had made me her son. If this is my last day, I'm good tomorrow. I ain't giving one, I'm grateful. Gotta be grateful, man. Every day. I hope you are too. God is good. Last day. Yeah. 
guys like that? Nice. I'm super proud of it. So thank you for letting me use your building and all your electricity and just make stuff. It was great. So, hey, if, if, uh, uh, if any time during this the sound is low or whatever, just, like, raise your hand and say something because if we need it, we had some, some issues last service, and I know some people were having trouble hearing. So if we have any issues with that, I don't want to miss you, and we can, like, switch mics. So just if you can't hear it, point to your ear. It's not going to distract me. Just let me know, okay? Cool? Hey, so uh, I'm excited to be here with you for the Bedrock series and talk in Genesis. You guys are going to be in Genesis for a while. It's a great place to start. And I have the privilege of talking to you this morning about the image of God, Genesis 1, uh, the Imago Day. I'm really excited about that. Um, here's why. We'll just go right in. Uh, would, you, would you agree that, that uh, in the human condition, we struggle a bit from time to time with issues of identity, purpose, who we are, and what we're supposed to do? Show of hands. Uh, it doesn't matter the grandest theologian amongst you, the most confident. Uh, anything can happen at any moment and have you question why and what. Uh, I think we have identity crises uh, everywhere you look. I don't care if they're racial, political, socioeconomic, financial, uh, national, ethnic, pick a thing, right? Uh, uh, gender, sexuality. We're struggling with who are we and what and why. And that's a grand, that's the, that's the question. That's the question. Who are we? And what are we supposed to do? Um, look at your neighbor and say, who are you? Look at your neighbor and say, who are you? I come from Pentecostal church. That's what we do. All right? All right. Look at your neighbor and say, who are you? Now look back at your neighbor and say, it's way too early for those questions. Leave me alone. I'm just trying to get through church and get to the Super Bowl. Stop asking me stuff. <laughs> right? But, but, but really, man, like, and we would look at stuff, and, and we look around us, and we say, man, things are worse than ever before, and it's crazy out there, and we're, we're on a, a fast track to revelation, like it's crazy. Uh, you know, I just think these are regular things that have been going on from the jump. Like, I think this is human issues. Malcolm Muggridge, I think I've used this quote here before, but I love it. Uh, Malcolm Muggridge said this, all new news is just old news happening to new people. Right? It's like it's, it's, it's happened before. It's just now happening to us. We read about everything else, and now we're experiencing it. And it feels new because it is, but it's not new. It's old, right? So we can look at it and feel away, but really we just got it. What's the foundational issue, and what's the foundational answer? And I think, I think if we just look at what God said about us in the beginning, it will fix a whole lot of bedrock stuff that we struggle with. God said that we are made in his image. Wow. So... What does that mean? And then what does that mean for us? So I want to go through a bunch of scriptures, probably read a few more than I normally would because I'm more of a conversational type speaker. But read a bunch of scriptures, uh, and they're going to be on the screen. I'll try to give you a heads up if you like to turn there. I'm a page turner, so I get it. I'll try to, if I go too fast again, just tell me because I'll stop, I'll slow down. Um, and then, then at the end of that, I would like to get to a very specific, I think, application of what God's image means in our culture, like what we can actually do about it. It can go anywhere because it affects everything, but I have something specific on my mind that I hope is helpful for us. So let's pray and, let, and let's dive into it. Uh, Lord, we're really grateful that you would see fit to even um, make us, first off, and then give us the grand distinction in all of creation to be the only ones made in your image. You could have done anything but you made us in your image. That is an honor that we can't put into words. Uh, I pray that we begin to consume all that means. There's no way we can fathom all that. There's no way I can cover that here fully. 
but help us to just start to live into the honor of what that means and then what that means for everybody around us. It's in the name of our Savior Christ we pray. Amen. So we're going to talk about God's image. It's a popular phrase and one of my favorites to refer to us, humanity, our human condition. We're struggling with who we are, identity issues. This is my, i got to remember that I'm made in this image. The Latin is imago Dei, which is the way I like to say it because it just sounds way cooler. Um, imago Dei just means image of God. Starts in Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27, which is where we'll go to first where God lays this thing out. I want to pull out three things from this and then go through a couple of other passages. Genesis 1, verse 26 and 27 starts this way. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. A couple of things right from the jump. The one God in this passage, you see very clearly, eternally exists in a plurality of persons. Very mind-blowing, but very clear, right? Because the question really is, if God is talk, who is, he, who is he talking to? When he says, let us, right? Well, verses 1 of Genesis is like the Father is there speaking. The Spirit of God is over the waters. Is there an echo? There's not? A little bit? All right. You guys got that? Do we need to switch? Okay. So um, the, the Spirit of God. So, so you already have this hint of two different persons, and then we find out the Son is present there as well, and we find that out in Genesis, and then the Bible makes it, or the, the New Testament makes it even more clear. You've got a plurality of persons here, but not a plurality of God. You have one God distinct in three persons. It is a mind-bending, nonsensical, non-logical truth that the Bible is extremely clear about that we will not comprehend fully in our lifetime, but, but Christ is clear about, the Father's clear about, the Spirit's clear about, the Scriptures are clear about. God is one God in three persons. Right? Anybody who tells you they fully grasped that in this lifetime is lying. That is a big deal. That is a big deal. But the Bible's real clear, so I believe it. So we have that there. Let us make mankind in our image. And then it goes right back to the singular. And then he made mankind in his image. So it's right there. One God, three persons. Number two, God made us in his image and likeness to represent his rulership over all creation. Because immediately after, let us make mankind. He says to do what? To rule over this, to take care of it, to steward creation, to be in and rule and run and take care of creation the way I would do it. To run things the way I, in the same way I would, in my image, in my likeness, to image me, in my representation, to handle this thing. So when you look at image of God, is it saying that God has uh, fingers and arms and legs and a spinal nerve like we do? I don't think so. I mean, you, you have all these pictures of God throughout Scripture that could lean that way. But I think because the Bible says that uh, the Father's invisible, says he's all spirit, that's not us. So what's it saying? I think more than saying a mirror copy of the actual uh, development of the person is saying that in the character and representation of God, that's the image that we're making. We love the way God loves. We care the way God cares. We 
desire to build and create the way God does. There's a reason why when you look at humanity, amongst all the other species God created, we're the only ones building cities and civilizations and airplanes and technology and laughing and having emotions and all that stuff. That's the way God is. You don't see apes doing that, giraffes doing that, right? There's something distinctly different about mankind. What is it? We're made in the image and likeness of God. You read, the end of, you read the end of the book, God is building cities and all. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's right there. We, we, the stuff that we think is innovative, it's just the image that we're made in. We're reflecting who God has made us to be. Does that make sense? He comes down in the garden, walks, and have conversations with Adam and Eve. We don't have record of God having conversations with giraffes and aardvarks. I'm sure he could if he wanted to. But even if he did, they're not tasked to rule creation. We are. There's a distinct difference. The Bible says angels look at these things and long. Angels are not made in God's image. Wow. Crazy, right? A little old you and me would be made in the image of God and have that distinct privilege amongst all of creation. Another thought. Being made in God's image means being and reflecting his character in all things. Who is God to be in all things? Take it out of the garden now. Work, relationships, care of creation, justice, treatment of each other, the poor, the rich, political spheres. How are we imaging God wherever we go? Because, again, I don't think it's just a design thing. I think it's just all of Scripture. I think it's more of a are you reflecting God in character and being and how you rule when you're in charge? Do you lord it over people like Jesus said don't do? Or do you get down and wash the feet of the people you serve like Jesus does? Are we imaging God wherever we go? And then why does nothing else in all of existence have the ability to, uh, to create and build like us and, and, and to make decisions and rational decisions or make bad decisions like us if we all just evolve from some explosion in space and primordial slime? Why is there something distinctly different about mankind versus everything else? Because the Bible's true. We have two options for existence. Something exploded in space one day from material that we don't know where it came from, somehow perfectly formed laws of gravity, and eventually people came together with consciousness and yearnings and love and emotions, and, and then we built cities and we're just here for no reason. Or God purposed and designed everything, put laws in place for life to exist, and then put mankind to image him in it to rule it the way he would rule. Option two sounds much more logical depending on which side of the spectrum you're on. Make sense? We, we track? Is that cool? So I just think that we have to look at it that way. Just on a basic bedrock of things, you are made to image and represent God on earth in every area and aspect of life. Nothing is not touched by this reality. We were made to image God. Enter sin, Genesis chapter 2. You guys are going to get into this along the way. I'm not going to dive into it much today. But Genesis 2, you have the narrative of Adam and Eve and God's relationship with them and his promise in the garden and the beauty and the freedom and the creativity he gave them and the relationship they had. And then Genesis 3, you have the fall of mankind away from the image of God. Now, the fall is this temptation for man to no longer submit to God's rulership and image, but to himself try to usurp God, sit in his throne, and be God himself. The temptation was not to worship the snake or to worship the Satan. 
The temptation was, hey, you decide. You'll be the one that chose good and evil. God doesn't want you to know the difference between good and evil because you'd be a competitor for him and he's jealous and he doesn't want that. You take the fruit, you do the thing, be your own person, live your truth, do your thing. That's the temptation. Because if you try to remove God from his throne, the only plausible... Want to switch to a hand? You want to switch to a handheld? Yes? Okay. So, uh, just let me know. So, if you try to take God off his throne, the only option after that then is to try to put the one made in God's image to sit there instead. And that's what I think mankind has been trying to do ever since. Would you agree? So, that's what we have. That's where we are. Um, The image that we're made in is to represent God in all of creation, to love one another, to cultivate, to flourish life for the glory of God and the good of all around us. And when we try to do that without him and do it for our own glory and our own good, what the result is violence, abuse, chaos, idolatry, power chasing. And it doesn't mean we can't do good deeds because we're still made in the image of God in our brokenness. No matter how broken that image is, no matter how uh, shattered the glasses, the mirrors that scattered all over the place, these broken shards trying to reflect the goodness of God encoded in your DNA is a moral code of what right and wrong is, no matter where you go or what you decide to do. Whether you love Jesus or you're running in the opposite direction, encoded in your DNA is what's supposed to be. And we live out of that. There are criminals in jail right now who uh, committed fantastic deeds in their community. They're not just what they did. They would walk old ladies across the street and take care of kids. And then they broke a law and went to jail. That they know what they were supposed to be doing. And they still did good things. Then they just happened to mess this up too. They're not just criminals now. They're still made in the image of God. Does that make sense? I say that because the way we're going to end today is our, um, our ability to put people in boxes as we wouldn't say this, but we would act. Uh, they're not in the image of God. We wouldn't say that. But we can treat people as less than that if we're not careful. Again, that's part of our fallen nature to look at our fellow mankind as less than for whatever reason. So that's where we're going to end the day. But go back here for a second. We're made in the image of God. And uh, what's worse is, for the criminal analogy, we've, we've all committed crimes against heaven, and there's no way to pay that back. And so once we've taken that fall, once we've taken that fruit, once we've tried to sit in that seat and say, I know better than God and make our own decisions, how do we pay that back? We can't. And as soon as this happens, instead of God snapping his fingers and saying, we messed up, let's start over again, he promises a redeemer to fix what we broke. Genesis 3, into the first promise of a savior. Genesis 3.15, um, talking to the snake, the serpent. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, promising the son of man to come. He will crush your head. You will strike his heel. He's going to crush the work that the enemy did. No time to unpack this. I'm sure you guys will get to it. But the son of man is coming, a savior to be born of a woman, God eternal, to be incarnate and born in the flesh of mankind, to break the work of the flesh, to break the sin of mankind, to bring the redemption of God to the undeserving man, and will divinely destroy the work of the serpent that took us off track from the image of God. Hallelujah. It's a great promise right in the first couple pages. So what does God do? The Savior comes to remove our sin 
and restore God's image. He wants us back reflecting what he made us to image. And the Savior comes to do that. So a few passages about the divine Son of God. First off, just a thought. So we, we, we're made in the image of God, and we're not perfectly reflecting that, and neither is anybody around you or next to you or far from you, not your best friend or your worst enemy. We're all in the same boat. So the sun steps in, and the sun is the image of God. The, I could have said ultimate. He is the ultimate, perfect image, representation, manifestation of the Father. If you want to know what God is like, his personality, his characteristic, his rule, you've got that along the way in the Old Testament. If that's all you have, that's beautiful. You've got that along the way. But then at the crux of humanity, at the appointed time, the Son shows up in the flesh and is exactly who God is in person because why? He is God in person. When his disciples said, listen, we've seen you raise the dead. We've seen you walk on water. We've seen you multiply fish sandwiches on the mountain. We know you can do a bunch of stuff. Show us the Father, and that'll be enough, and I'll stop asking questions. And Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What more do you want me to do? Right? If you've seen me, you've seen God in the flesh. That's the end of the story. Colossians 1.15 says it a different way. If you want to turn there, Colossians 1.15 through 16 makes very clear who the Son is. It goes this way. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, All things have been created through him and for him. What I want you to walk away with is the sun is the image of the invisible God. If you want to know what God looks like, go read the biographies of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the letters of those who walked with him for three and a half years personally. And when they say this is who he is, then you know what God is. You know who God is like. And you know that the son here in this passage is one, he's going to be the redeemer, the firstborn of all creation. No time to unpack that. But you see his hand in all creation, all things made by him, through him, for him, is saying that the son is not just fulfilling this divine role, but the son is indeed God. He is exactly who God is because he is God. It's saying it clear as day. The son is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1 says it a different way. We're going to go to Hebrews 1 verses 1 through 3 for just a second. It says this, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets and at many times in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. It's a very God thing to do, saying that the, the son is God again. Here's the part I want you to walk away with. Three, the son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of heaven. What I want you to walk away with is the son is the exact representation of his being. Bottom line, in Christ the son, God is conforming us back into the full image of God. He's restoring us back to how do you live like me, walk like me, move like me, 
rule like me, treat others like me, steward creation like me until you're with me fully forever. How do you start on that path and that journey to be more like me day in and day out? Theologians would call that sanctification. How does that start with you? Romans 8, 28. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. See, he's moving the baby to tears. You hear that? <laughs> God is conforming us to the image of his son. He's like, I, page one, made in my image. Uh, get to the new covenant. My image is present among you. I want you to see how I move, how I walk, how I deal with people. When Jesus is dealing with lepers and everybody's running the other way and he's running towards them. When, when the uh, promiscuous woman is running into this house of all these religious leaders and she's not welcome there, but she'll do anything to get to Jesus. And these religious leaders are grilling Jesus and trying to find a reason to make him look bad. And he's not worried about them. He's concerned about her. He's not trying to impress the status quo. To make, he, all he cares about is her. And hopefully some of these religious leaders will at least see who they're supposed to be and repent. And if not, God visited them and told them to their face you're in error. And he's doing all this at the same time and doesn't care about anybody's opinion about anything. And he loves this woman and sends her on her way. It says, Every ter- everywhere this gospel is told, we're going to remember you. We're not going to remember any of these people here. We're going to remember you. How do you live like that? That's not, a, that's not a natural reflex for us. Would you agree? We have to be made into that image and reconformed into what the Bible would call the kingdom of God. How do you live in an upside-down world where every, everything else around us is, is divided and, and political and people are fussing and fighting and shooting missiles and, and tweets and all this type of stuff, and Jesus is in the middle of that. He just doesn't conform to any of it but invites you to be conformed to him. The image, the image. We're going to skip 1 Corinthians again. 1 John uh, 3, 2. 1 John's, I'm, I'm, I've told you this before, it's like one of my favorite books in the Bible. It's very clear. It's very black and white. It's very right, wrong, holy, not, and then in the middle, like a whole bunch of love tying it all together. But 1 John 3, 2. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. John is basically saying, I don't know how all this works. Right? I walked with Jesus for three years. I don't know how all this works. You can take the pressure off yourself if you don't have all the answers. That's, that's just for, for those, you know what I mean? Um, what, we, what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. When Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We don't fully know how all this works. Anybody saying that they get it all the way is probably lying. But we do know that the image is being restored. And when we see him again, It's going to be fully restored. We're in process, and it's going to be complete. He's saying that this this is good as done. It's already finished. If you're in Christ now, and you're on your way, all your flaws and errors and all your imperfections and places where you get it really right because of your wiring and character and discipline and places where you get it really wrong because you're still working on some stuff, you're in process. When when heaven looks at you, it sees the righteousness of Christ. It sees a co-heir of Christ right now in the middle of your imperfection. And eventually... Is going to be completed, and you're going to be living into the thing that he bought for you already. The Bible calls the spirit a guarantee of what's to come, right? Are we tracking? Y'all with me? Hello? That's all right. I told you, it's Pentecostal church. It creeps up sometimes, right? So I just, 
this is, this is a beautiful thing. He's like, it's, it's already here. And I, I, he's, I don't know how all this works. All I know is that when he shows up, we're going to be fully conformed to that image. Right now, we're being conformed. But it's as good as done because we will be. If you're not in Christ, that promise is not for you. But I pray that you would receive that. So it is because it's been purchased for you. We just got to take it, right? I, reject, I sat in church and rejected it for a long time. I don't know if you're in here. I pray you would receive it. Don't waste any more time. God bless you. So the image is being restored. It's as good as done already. But what does all that mean? This, is, this can be just religious pie-in-the-sky stuff if we're not careful. What does all that mean for Monday morning? What does God's image mean for us? John also writes this a chapter earlier in chapter 2, verse 6. Um, it's very, again, very, very just simple to the point sentences in 1 John. Uh, Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Whoever claims to be made in Christ, to be Christian, which means in Christ or little Christ is literally what it means, must live as Jesus did. Can all, can, and, and I would love anybody in here who does that perfectly to lift your hand up so we can learn the secret. Right? All right, so honest saints today. Thank you. So we don't, none of us are knocking this out the park batting a thousand, right? I don't know baseball. I think that's a good analogy. I don't know if that works. So, but this is the target. This is the goal. This is the, when I get it right, I celebrate what God is doing and conforming me to his image. When I get it wrong, I repent and believe and get better the next day. Here's the thing I would say. We must strive to walk in the character and competency of Jesus. We must strive to walk, thank you, in the character and competency of Jesus. Now, let me pause on this word strive, because depending on your your church leanings, that word is under tension sometimes. I'm not saying strive to earn your place in God and earn your righteousness. That's not what I'm saying. You can't earn a free gift. Jesus gets on the cross, looks down at the people that put him there, and says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You literally put Jesus on the cross, and if you accept what he's paying for, he's going to forgive you for doing that. That's mind-blowing. You can't earn that. There's no amount of good deeds you can do to make up for, you know what I'm saying? That's the forgiveness of Christ. You can't earn that. That righteousness is given to you, your right standing and right placement with God, that's a gift. If you receive the payment, yes, God, I'll take your free gift. Forgive me my sins, I'll take it. That right sta- that, that placement that's put on you, there's nothing you can do to have earned that. That is a free gift. So you can't strive for that. There's nothing you can do. It's just given. The Bible also says that there's a lot of work to be done in response. It talks about when walking out your holiness and salvation and fear and trembling. It, it says beat your flesh up like a boxer. Run a race as if you're trying to win a, a, a medal. Uh, put your flesh to death by crucifying it and, and live the way the Son of God. It has all these things about work hard to live the way God has called you to live, not to earn your righteousness and salvation, but in response to what was freely given to you. Because if you really, really love Jesus, you're going to work hard to not do the things he had to die for. Does that make sense? So there's, there's a practicality of discipline to it to where it's like, listen, I, there's some things in my life that uh, without the spirit of God, I love to do and I would run back to. Hello? You know what I mean? Thank you. Right? And if we're honest, some stuff that maybe we're doing right now. 
looking at, viewing, thinking about, pursuing, chasing? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. <laughs> like, oh, get them in the prayer ministry. We need to pray for them. Right? What's my point? There are basic things about discipline. And you know what? I got to take a step in this direction towards Jesus and away from this. And another step the next day. And another step. Oh, man, I tripped and fell. I messed up. I went back to it. All right, Jesus, forgive me. Let me, let me. Next. And you just keep going and going. And then you look back a few months later and you're like, man, how did I get this far away from that thing that used to hold my life? There's a practicality and a discipline to walking out your salvation in fear and trembling. And you should strive for that. You should work. If you're going to work hard at your job to get that promotion, if you're going to work hard at being a good parent, spouse, friend, coworker, whatever, if you're going to work hard at your athleticism, whatever, like you should work hard at this more. So that word strive, don't fear that for theological reasons. Just say, I want to become, I want to work hard at, at, at living in the image of God. When he says, this is how I'm to treat my enemies, and I'm not naturally going to do that, I want to work hard at becoming that person. I'm going to screw it up. I'm not going to do it right all the time. But God, if you give me an opportunity to forgive somebody of something I wouldn't have forgiven them for yesterday, I'm going to do my best to do it today. And you, and you just keep taking steps. And then you look back two, three years later, and you're like, man, I'm a totally different person. How many of you guys have been walking with Jesus for a few years, and you were a whole lot different than you was a couple years ago? Right? <laughs> You know, you get that phone call from somebody to come out their mouth sideways. And, mm, all right, man, I'm going to get off the phone before I say something on me. Love you, bro. Click. Right? It's different than what you would have seen. You know, it's, and it, I'm being facetious, but, like, I'm serious. Like, you're working hard. That's what I mean. Strive to live in the character and competency of Jesus. Two things. Character is living how Jesus lives. Competency, doing what he does. It seems obvious, but, I, you know, I just... This is a natural for us. The natural response, typically, based on how you're wired, what you've been through, is to have a cultural response to certain things and then maybe a Jesus response to others. There's certain things that you lean towards, that you're wired towards, right? And then there are other things that you just kind of throw your hands up and say, well, it's just how I am. And I would challenge you to see what aspect of your life is least imaging God, lay that before him, And then take the the two steps, repent and believe. God, this area of my life doesn't look like you at all. And I know it. I don't want to fix it. Maybe I'm even proud of it. I would like to lay this before you. And if there's something that I need to change, give me a first step and give me me the courage to obey. Because 1 John also says, how do we love God? You can't wrap your arms around him, like not not in this lifetime. How do you love God? He says you obey him. You do what he says, do. If you love him, do what he says. If you don't, don't. It's right. I like First John. It's really, you know what I mean? So how do I take this thing that I love to do, that I don't want to do, that God clearly says do, that Jesus clearly exemplified? Man, take your enemy a cold cup of water. Why? I don't want to do that. Jesus said do it, though. Right? That type of stuff. How do I get conformed to the image of God? Because there's a mysterious work that he's doing in me. And then there's a practical thing. Why do? Why I just obey? And I'm going to start doing that more. My friend and I had this conversation this week about dichotomy, like things being um, on different sides and things that can be kind of true that aren't all the way true. Here's, here's a, here's a uh, not, I'm sorry, Think two things that seem opposing that are both true at the same time. How does that work? Could you, our culture makes us pick one or the other a lot. You have to pick one or the other thing, and, and, and I just don't think that's what the kingdom does. For example, um, let's play it safe. 
Yo, hello. Let's play it safe. <laughs> uh, let's talk about politics in church. All right. So, uh, <laughs> that's right. I'm, I'm visiting. I get to leave after this. Uh, <laughs> email John. So let's just, whatever. Like, so you got one. Let's say we care about uh, justice, racial, political, blah, 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 right? Justice stuff. Somehow in our culture, justice has become a, t- a, a touchy word. How did we get there? So weird. But justice, right? On the other side, you've got uh, abortion and babies and taking care of the unborn. And both of these things are very biblical. You can find passages to back up both of them, no matter what your news channel or political party said about the other one, right? But in our culture, you have to pick. You can't, you can't vote for both because you've got to pick the party that's doing the one thing and you've got to pick. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Both of these need to be fought for, in my opinion, and the Bible's. Right? But Jesus is sitting here like, I, I, how did you put kingdom stuff on ballots and make you pick one over the other? Right? So like, this other thought, too, is this. this. This is where I'm going with this. Everyone is made in the image of God, and therefore they have infinite dignity, value, and worth. It doesn't matter where they're from, what they have or don't have, what they believe, what they're doing what they don't believe, what their sexuality is, none of that matters. They are made in the image of God, period. The person that you like the least in this world, the avatar and the image of the most evil person, this, ooh, this, ooh, that person is made in the image of God. Broken and marred just like you. Now, am I saying that they don't need to repent and believe? Absolutely not. All of us do. Every single one of us. That's the next point. Everyone needs to repent and believe the gospel for the forgiveness of their sins and the restoration of God's image. Because that image is in us. It's encoded in our DNA, even though it's broken and marred and not reflecting God well at all. But when I look at somebody else and I treat them as anything less than an image bearer of God, in my thoughts, in my deed, in my, and I'm not saying we're not speaking truth and calling things out. We're doing that. Do that. I'm saying you tear them down from the the status that God has given them in page one because we don't like how they voted, what they believe, what they're doing. Something is off with how we're doing this and how Jesus is doing it because Jesus walked in every room, flipped over tables, called things out, made made people angry and loved on everybody at the same time and people had to decide how they were going to take that because he had this way of making both things true at the same time. And laying things out and weeping over the city that was not repenting. He said, Jerusalem, I weep for you. You know what I mean? How do you have a heart for those who aren't reflecting the image of God, who are spitting in his face the same way I was at one point, And still be willing to get on the cross and say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. These two things must be true. So the question is, this is, this is the question, and this, this is really my, my final point. How do you look at people who aren't currently reflecting the fullness of the image of God? It says a lot about how you understand grace. The Bible gives us a few more things. The Bible has a lot to say about uh, sin, judgment, wrath. All of those things are very true. And depending on your wiring, your that you're, you're comfortable with those things, and some, some of you aren't. Those are the pages of the Bible you skip real quick. Whatever. 
Like the wi- let me say this too. I said this in the first service. The way that you're wired is a gift. The Bible says Jesus came full of grace and truth. This is very simple. It's, it's more than this, I think. But like some of us are more wired for more truth. Like bold proclamation, don't care what you think, bull in a china shop, and that's a gift. We need you. We need you. The people like me who are super grace and don't like confrontation, don't like to fuss with people, I need you to help me tighten up and get some courage. But you need me to have grace and mercy in areas where you're not going to have it. The way you're wired is a gift. That's why 1 Corinthians 12, it said, look, man, what, if we all have eyes and ears, where, where's all the, like, the body needs each other. So the way you're wired is a blessing and a gift. But also lean into the fact that you have some weaknesses and you're interdependent on the rest of the body. And you need each other to pursue things. If we only do things in our image, the way we're conformed, we're going to have what we have now, a culture that's jacked up and superimposing things on people all the time. Jesus is doing both of these at the same time. So, like, the Bible is very clear about judgment and, and all this stuff. But it's also very clear about how God looks at his enemies, why he would hit a cross for them while they were currently his enemies. Jude says it this way. Jude's, Jude's one chapter, right? It's this one chapter. And it's, the verses are a scathing critique on a lot of false teachers. And it says some really, really, really hard things. And then gets to verse 22 where it says this. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others, show mercy mixed with fear. Hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. You can hear in that language like everything you can to pull your brother or sister back. Why? Because they're made in the image of God and you need to do everything you can to get this gospel to them so they can receive the forgiveness of their sins and the restoration of what they're called to be. And I don't know how you're going to do it. You're going to do it different than me because you're wired different with different skill sets and different proclivities and all that, man. Whatever, however God's calling, go for it. But take the heart of God with you. Don't take this culture's heart which is to cut somebody off and call them less than a child of God because of whatever. Does that make sense? Um, This is the one that always gets me. Um, I was talking to my friend last night. We were having dinner. She didn't know I I was preaching on this today. And uh, she was asking my wife and I, she said, why is it that we as people, but even as believers, like celebrate um, when something bad happens to the bad guy? Why do we celebrate that? I mean, because it feels natural. You did this, you go to jail. You hurt somebody, you get hurt back. It feels natural. It feels right. I'm not going to sit here and say I don't, I'm always mad that that happens. I'm like, good. You know what I mean? And uh, she was asking that. And I was like, you know, that's a good point. Because we should. I see somebody commit a crime, and now they're going to jail for 40 years, right? And they deserved it, Right? Do I celebrate that they're going to jail for 40 years? Or do I say, dear God, what could have happened that they could have made a different decision? That they could have lived up to your image and been out here for 40 years reflecting your image, being a different person, being a father or a mother, being a, a good citizen. Like, the 40 years is gone. Why would I celebrate that? Even if it has to happen because of what, you know what I'm saying? There's a different way for both things to be true. And it doesn't fit our cultural context or even our fleshly nature. But I believe it's what Jesus is saying. Because here's what the Father says in Ezekiel 33. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. 
None. I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn. Turn from your evil ways. Why would you die, people of Israel? My time's up. But my heart for this is if we're going to, um, and we should, take this truth of the Imago Dei, the image of God, that we're wired in, uh, that in our DNA is encoded the fact that uh, God put something special in us. So special that he would trade his life to redeem it. And on your, on your off day, when you're feeling lesser than because of life situations, circumstances, health, something you messed up or something you didn't achieve or family brokenness or whatever, lies Satan's getting in your ear with or something somebody said, when you're feeling lesser than, you can remind yourself, man, on my worst day, God made me in his image. And I, I have the privilege to live up to that in Christ. That's a beautiful thing to take for yourself. But if it just stays there as a self-reminder, I think we've missed it. If we don't put that out on every person around us, then every person around you is made in the image of God. The worst person that you don't like, Jesus thought was worth dying for. Then I think we're missing the whole, whole, whole point of it. I, I want us to fall back and say, ask this question, are we reflecting the image of God in our life? Here's my fear. Um, Next year, we're in for a really, really brutal presidential election, right? It's going to tear our country apart again to shreds. We we never recovered from the past couple months, right? I'm not a prophet, but it's coming, and it's going to be bad. The only hope that I have for any of this in our American political context, our divided, all the things, everybody's at fault. I don't care. The only hope I have is that the church would learn to live into the Imago Dei and reflect an ethic and a characteristic and an ethos that upholds all of the biblical convictions while looking at our IE enemies is also made in the image of God. Doesn't hold back from the truth in any way, shape, or form, but takes our enemy a cup of cold water and visits them in jail and doesn't celebrate their demise. Where do we see that here? It's not here. I, I, I cannot stand when I see Jesus getting credit in our political arena for stuff he don't want credit for. Know what I mean? Y'all with me? Take the scattered applause. That's cool. I, and, and take it out of politics. Anything. Anything. How are we behaving towards those with a broken sexual ethic? Right? I mean, cut on Disney Plus. It's all over the place. Right? You can't get, you can't get away from But man, like, I'm looking at this, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I think there's an agenda, all that stuff. I do. At the same time, I'm like, man, how, if you actually believe that all of this is true, all these different options and stuff, if that is confusion, what is that? I don't know what that means. I don't, I've never experienced it. I don't, you really believe that you can just decide to be this? And not, what, what's, how can I love when you're right where you're at? How can I be there for you? I don't know what that means. I can be mad at you and say, 
you're ruining everything and my kids can't watch this movie. And that's true. But like, I also want, I want to be more like Jesus in this situation. And I don't know how to do that. I'm trying to learn. I'm like, Jesus, what would you do here? You would call things out and flip over to Sure. But you'd also, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. How can I be more like that? I want to be more like that too. What does it mean to image God? We need to figure this out. And we ain't going to get it straight in our lifetime. I know. But we need to be on the way. We need to go to our graves having strived to be more and more like it every day, loving the unlovable, loving people we never thought we'd love, while not letting go of the truth at the same time. I think that's what God has for us. So, um, oh yeah, I'll throw this verse up and then I'll get out your way. Um, Luke 6, 46. Uh, why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? Right? I think we got to really look at that. And... Uh, and challenge ourselves. So my last thought is just strive to reflect the image of God in every area of your life. Because I think that's why he gave it to you. He says, in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule, reign in the way that I would. I just pray that we would learn to do that and do it better. In our neighborhoods, our jobs, our classrooms, our families our broken relationships with our enemies, with our loved ones, with our unloved ones. Um, Because I think that's what Jesus would have us to do. I can't find a single verse that argues that, that argues against that, I mean. So um, I want to get better at that, and I hope you do too. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your image. Thank you for your beautiful image. Thank you for making us in your image. Thank you, Father, for... um, when we fell from that image, you paid the price to reconform us to that image. Uh, it must mean a lot to you. Let it mean a lot to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Give it up for Nigel.